you've been listening uh, this week and, and frankly last week, you know that I have been excited about this interview uh, for quite a long time. I talked a little bit about this last night with Peter Schmuck on his show. Uh, I, I was excited when I saw the trailers for this movie, The Summer of Soul, which is a documentary. We'll get into the specifics in a moment. Uh, but joining me right now are three of the producers of the movie. Uh, David uh, Dinerstein. I should have asked David how to pronounce his it's, name. It's Dinerstein. Dinerstein. I almost went that way. <laughs> Robert Fivalent, which if I got that wrong, you're going to get me. And, and uh, Joseph... It's Fivalent, actually. <laughs> there you go. So I'm going to butcher everybody's names. And Joseph Patel. I, I hope I got Joseph's name right. <laughs> All three are very experienced producers um, and, and have been involved in the film industry quite a bit. But let me let me start here. I know Questlove directed the film. Uh, let me explain for a second. So I grew up in New York, as my listeners know. Uh, I would drive by Mount Morris Park. Mount Morris Park actually was a source of great fascination for me growing up for a lot of reasons. Um, I was not aware of the Harlem Cultural Festival. So when I saw the trailer for this, I was very excited for this. I love soul music. I love all the artists who participated. But how did this project come to you guys? That's what I want to know. Well, I'll start. I, I uh, It's been a really long journey for me. This is Robert Fivalent. No. So I've uh, been an entertainment lawyer mostly um, for a number of years. I've uh, done some writing, and and uh, but this was my first uh, mm -hmm. producer credit. But I, um, I was entertainment company a, a production company and uh we were doing a lot of acquisitions and uh i was approached by somebody who had heard about the footage he was working on a, another music project and when he told me about it i just became obsessed with it and i i tracked down hal tolchin who was the party who the gentleman that originally shot the footage in in mount morris park in 1969 and he was elderly but living in bronxville new york he and i developed a relationship and uh, that was sort of the start of it. And then, uh, you know, years later, David and I, who had had known each other for quite some time and had been friends, teamed up on it. And uh, we set out to put it together. We, we decided to, you know, uh, that Questlove was the perfect person to tell this story. And we added Joseph to our, to our team and the rest of the great team that we put together. And, you know, here we are. Well, talk, talk a little bit about the, the, the festival itself and why the footage sat essentially in somebody's, I'm not going to say basement or attic, but sat somewhere uh, hidden away for 50 plus years. Well, I mean, the fest go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, Hal in the movie says, you know, no one cared about Harlem. He, he you know, he had a sense that, that, these artists were important even in 1969 he shot this on oh, spec yeah. he heard about the concert he had a film production company and 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 tv company and he got his crew out there and he shot it you know he hoped over the years that he could get something put together but you know nothing happened with it and literally the the original masters of this were in his basement i know people say like is that a euphemism no they were in his uh i i literally wow. super taking those two inch tapes out of his basement. Um, now there had been copies and dubs that had been made where he was trying over the years to try to get it set up. But, you know, we went back to the original materials. Uh, these materials hadn't been seen. And, you know, we made this movie using those, those materials. So. Yeah. And I would add that, that, you know, you talk about the festival. Why? I mean, you know, it took place in 1969 over the course yes. of 
over the course of six weeks, uh, you know, roughly a hundred miles away from Woodstock. It took place at roughly the same time frame. And the Harlem Cultural Festival it was filmed in Mount Morris Park, which was, you know, the names changed to Marcus Garvey Park. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's right in the middle of Harlem. Uh, and the footage, you know, was never widely seen. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it, it, it was a forgotten by many, many people. Yet, you know, it included some of the most seminal, you know, acts of that particular day. Sly and the Family Stone, Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Mahalia Jackson, B.B. King, The Fifth Dimension, Ray Barreto, Mongo Santa Maria. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's incredible. Now, I, it's interesting because the um, the uh, almost famous, uh, the Cameron Crowe film, uh, they're, they're hitting their 20th anniversary. They are releasing a 4K digital remaster this week. They released a massive album, soundtrack album, a, a couple of months ago. Uh, in 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 conjunction with this, is there are there any plans to release the the broader music? Because you're absolutely right, David. You know these are seminal artists, and the performances are stunning. Is there any effort to 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 release some kind of a a concert album? No, of course. I mean, you know, we finished this film during a pandemic, and our focus yeah. has really been getting the film out. But there's people, you know, obviously the response to the film has been incredible. And, you know, the music is, you know, at the center of that. And of course there, you know, there will be a soundtrack and, you know, we're, we're, we've been actively working on trying to get that put together. So. All right. So b before we hit a break, I, I want to ask you this and then I want to, cause we're going to come back and talk about the relevance. Cause there are things that I, I, I caught in this movie that were extremely relevant today. I want to talk about that in a minute. But you know, getting actor um, actors, getting musicians like uh, Marilyn McCoo and, and other members of the Fifth Dimension together to watch this footage for the first time. I mean, you guys saw this. The the look on Marilyn McCoo's face as she is watching herself perform. I mean, that's got to be a, a, a good feeling for you guys, and it brings the magic to the film, doesn't it? Well, I think you know when we played it for the Fifth Dimension, uh, with Billy Billy and uh, Marilyn, you know they. It, it, it brought up a lot of emotions for them personally, right? That they had participated in this festival. It had meant a lot to them. And then the festival itself had been forgotten for so long yeah. that when we showed them the footage, it, it, it was remarkable to see them react with how important it was for them to play Harlem amidst, in, in 1969, the Fifth Dimension is one of the biggest groups in, in the world. And that one show out of hundreds of shows they did that year, really, really meant something to them. And I think that's very emblematic of the story we're trying to tell in the documentary, which is this event that happened in Harlem was actually really meaningful. And the subtext of our film is essentially that black history is American history. The other thing, one of the other things that struck me, gentlemen, uh, as I watched the film, because you're absolutely right, David, you know, this is happening in 1969, the summer of 1969. Obviously, Woodstock is happening at, at, you know, not another end of New York, but up in central New York, um, towards the tail end of when this was all going on. But at the same time, the moon landing was happening. And as I'm watching this, uh, and I had a conversation last Friday with some friends, I talked about it on my show last Saturday, we were talking about private space travel, and the issue of, of Richard Branson spending this money to go into space. 
And one of the uh, college kids that I was talking to at the dinner table said, well, you know, this really has no relevance. I sit here and I watch this and I'm thinking, well, we should be spending this money elsewhere. And that was a major theme uh, in this, you know, both from the participants and then this footage of Red Fox talking about the moon landing. Can you talk about this and talk about the general context of the relevance of what was happening in Harlem in 1969 and elsewhere in the African-American community and, and, and uh, what's happening today? Any of you? I'll, I'll, I'll jump into this one uh, for a second. You, Robert. I know my uh, colleagues are, are gonna have points of view on it as well, but you know, we made a specific um, decision not to make um, specific the modern day that we thought sure, of course. speaks for itself. And you know, the amount of similarities between things that were happening in 1969 and, and now are, are, are pretty remarkable, you know, even as we finish the film with all, you know, the, the protests over George Floyd happening and, you know, we're, we're in the editing room and, and watching, you know, watching this movie and just, you know, marveling at, you know, how this movie is a, a look at our country through the lens of 1969. But, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, you know, the, the space travel because it's an important moment in the movie, but, I think, you know, today we have corporations that are actually the proxy for our government. And, you know, in essence, the same thing is happening. These companies aren't paying taxes. They aren't, you know, uh, uh, in large part. I mean, you know, not, yeah. not to get into that, but in essence, we're, we're, we're facing the same issues where the, that money is not being spent in communities and for things that, that money should be spent for. So I think um, the moon landing scene is my personal favorite because, you know, if you ask anybody on the street what Americans probably thought about the moon landing, they would universally say, oh, it was a great thing. Absolutely. And then, yeah. and then you find this archival clip where not only at the festival, Walter Cronkite throwing to a reporter at the festival, but also, you know, in Harlem later that night, you're asking black residents, what do you think of the moon landing? And, and almost unequivocally, they're all saying that money could have gone to cities, you know, like Harlem. Um, and to, to feed poor people and to, to help communities that are struggling. And I think that is, uh, you know, again, it's sort of the subtext of our film where, you know, we made a conscious decision in this movie to use archival sources showing a black perspective. And it's, it's starkly different than, than what history sort of remembers as being the prevailing sentiment. Yeah, it's, and, uh, and it's, I'm, I'm someone who is a space nut. Um, but I understand this and I understand sort of I'm, you know, I've, I've got one perspective based upon who I am uh, and other folks have a very different perspective. To me, it was it was because this movie is a snapshot of a community at a point in time. And, and actually, before we move forward on this, let's talk a little bit about about, you know, the the. the not it's not the importance of it, but you know this festival was a major festival. I mean, there were what fifty thousand people in in what was then Mount Morris Park, now Marcus Garvey Park, as as you guys have said. I mean, talk talk about that and talk about some of the other the memories you were able to find from folks. I think you know when you think about the the sort of scale of the festival, it's really unbelievable. It took place literally in the middle of the city, uh, in a closed park, if you will, and when you compare it to festivals like Woodstock, which over the three or four day time that festival took place, they, they you know, had roughly 300,000 people. Coachella, which takes place over two consecutive uh, we weeks now, I think three or four, four days at a time, you know, also has roughly, I believe, 300,000 people. This festival took place over six, 
Sundays and had 300,000 people attend. So it was just extraordinary. Uh, and, you know, it was a huge feat to be able to produce a festival like this, you know, during that particular time. Tony Lawrence, who, who was the producer and the promoter of the festival, was able to team up with uh, New York City and its parks depart de department, along with Hal uh, Tolchin. Uh, and, you know, they were able to attract some money from General Mills uh, at that time, uh, uh, who was able to, you know, uh, help augment the production. Hal Tolchin, you know, elected to document this with four cameras, yeah. you know, and a, and a, you know, a professional film crew on spec. He yeah. felt that this was an extraordinary event and it needed, you know, to be documented with the hope that he would be able to produce uh, a documentary at some point along the way. And unfortunately, he was, you know, never able to get that off of the ground. My, my guests are, are David Dinnerstein, Robert Fivalent, and Joseph Patel. They're the uh, producers of uh, the Summer of Soul, this uh, movie that is uh, now available, documentary about this Harlem Cultural Festival, uh, stunning musical performances. It's now available uh, on Hulu. Um, obviously, I, I, clearly I'm a fan. I saw it last week, I enjoyed it thoroughly, I've been recommending it, but the reaction has been uh, great across the board, gents. Talk, talk a little bit about that, please. Well, I would, I would just make one point. Uh, please in response to what you just said, Hulu are our friends, but we would also point out that if you want to see this on a big screen, now's your chance. Cause it's, you know, in about hundred screens around the country and it's a stunning experience. So let me make, and, and I appreciate that Robert, because have I had, I had the opportunity, I would have loved to have had this be the first movie that I see uh, on the big screen. In fact, I'll, I'll continue to look around for it um, yeah. because I think it would be incredible to watch on the big screen, but I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's that. That was that was just my my point about that. I just wanted to make sure everybody knows that there is that opportunity right now. I mean, we you know we want as many people as possible to see the film, and and of course, Hulu is a great a great uh, platform for it. But uh, just anecdotally to too, uh, you know, we've we've been told from people on Twitter and and on social channels that they're watching the film on Hulu and then going to the theater to experience it in a different ma matter and vice versa. Versa. So it is a it is a great way to re-enter the theater if if you're ready to do that. If you're not, it's the perfect film to watch on your couch with your family. It just brings sheer joy to your to your you know to yourselves. I, I without a doubt. I mean, you know, it is it is a a great couple of hours to sit there if you are a fan of soul music. If you are a fan of music history, uh, you know, it, this is you know this is what this is the film you want to see. Right now, I'm a, as my listeners know, I'm a huge fan of music documentaries as it is. Uh, this is one that I know that I'm going to uh, keep when it comes out on on uh, DVD or whatever. I'm going to uh, go and get my copy. Um, uh, gentlemen, listen, I want to thank you so very much for, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank my, you very much. You're welcome. Uh, my guests have been uh, uh, Robert Fevelent, uh, David Dinnerstein, and Joseph Patel, the producers of Summer of Soul.